This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 23, this week with Jason Heiner from the Tech Republic. This is Tech Fan number 23. I'm the host, Tim Robertson, and with me is David Cohen, as usual. Hello, David. Hello. We have a guest today, and it's not the echo in the back of your room there. <laughs> it sounds very echoey. The echo is a guest. It's a but, guest. Uh, but it's just more of me, so that's good. So we do have an actual guest from CBS Interactive. He is... Boy, can you have more titles, Jason? You are the editor-in-chief of the Tech Republic. <laughs> uh, you have a personal blog, Tech Sanity Check, which, by the way, I read all the time. Um, Thank you. CBS Interactive, Tech Republic, Tech Sanity Check. It's nothing but tech in there. Yeah, there's a lot of brands there, <laughs> aren't there? Plus, there's you know my own site, jasonheiner.com, where I blog a little bit, too. So everything is about the written word for you, right? It is. I focus mostly on writing. You know, I leave um, you know the audio and video stuff to to guys like you who do it a lot better than I can do it. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Speaking of uh, podcasting, though, David, we have a brand new channel in iTunes. Uh, as people listen to the show probably know, we produce uh, a number of different podcasts, uh, including the App Minute with Sam Levin, the regular MyMac podcast with Guy and Gaz, this one, we have Pocket Size Podcast, and the Geekiest Show Ever. Well, that's five different shows currently, and we have other ones in development uh, that yep. people may want to subscribe to. So rather than have them subscribe to five different shows... We have kind of narrowed it down, so if you want all the shows, you only have to sub- subscribe once, if I can talk right. It's it's that being sick thing, David. Uh, it's called MyMac Potpourri. We've got a link up on the MyMac.com website. In fact, if you go up to the MyMac website at any time and look at this, the menu bar, you'll see MyMac Podcast Network. It'll list all of our shows, including the new one. If you click that, you can subscribe to all the shows, so... Almost every day a new show comes out, so yeah, free content and, and for your iPhone and iPod. Absolutely, and of course, if you if you are subscribed to many of our shows, then one of the advantages of this, as well as the convenience of not having to keep several feeds updated, is of course you get every show as it comes out, kind of in order. So um, if one of the shows references something, and then then later on, you know, we come along and talk about it, you'll kind of have heard everything in the order. It, it came out in, so you can kind of keep up the conversation. You know, one of the things that I didn't realize is there is a limitation in iTunes. They will only list 299 shows. I didn't know that because I went in and I just I dumped pretty much almost six years of content. Well, there's a bunch of it right in the middle that I don't have updated yet. Yeah. But it literally it was like five, six hundred shows, and iTunes only lists 299. And then when That's- I updated it, it still only lists 299. That's a bummer because, you know, sometimes you'd like to – there's a bunch of podcasts where I'd like to go back and grab, you know, something from uh, – or, or, you know, listen to something uh, to reference it, sometimes even for an article. Um, and you can't find it. You have to go to the, the, the sort of the, the, 
the site where if, if there is a site for the podcast and see if they've got their archives up there. There's a show that I really enjoy called Stuck in the 80s. It's kind of an 80s nostalgic show, and every episode they kind of have a theme. So, you know, it could be the best hits of or the worst hits of 1984. I get a kick out of the show. And they've been doing it almost as long as we've been podcasting. They've been doing it since 2005. So we've got about a year on them. Um, but I was fortunate enough to download all their episodes at one time. But this was before Apple put this 299-episode limit in effect. I wonder why they did that. I can't, I can't see any benefit to that, Jason. No, it's just, it's just an RSS feed, right? You, you, you can put whatever you want in the RSS feed. I don't know. Sometimes it's one of these Apple things of like, well, we don't want too much because we don't want people to get confused or whatever. Uh, it was pro- pro- probably not even that sophisticated. It was probably like, who'd ever put more than 300 shows yeah, in the feed? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Ex- yes. 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 And then you look at someone like Ken Ray, who has a show almost every day. And you're like, well, he, he's kind of uh, stuck there. I mean, you can only, you can't even get a full year's worth of stuff from uh, Ken Ray. But yeah, I, it, it's up there, though. Here's the thing an RSS feed, just an XML file, pretty small. It's just a document, right? Yeah. The XML file for our Potpourri Network show is a megabyte. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it's just text. There's <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot for an XML file. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, wow, that yeah, that might be a little bit too big, but that's okay. <laughs> Apple only lists 299 episodes, and it doesn't take any extra work on my part to do it. So what the heck, we'll put it up there. So, Jason, you had a really good – and the funny thing is, before we started recording, when I was telling David and Jason um, – kind of the topic that I want to focus on. They laughed because they had actually been um, talking via Twitter about the same subject, so that kind of works. And I am sick, by the way. If you can't tell by my voice, I'm feeling just terrible. So I'm going to let David and uh, Jason kind of take the lead here, but it's uh, the article is titled, Forget Intel's Thunderbolt, Wireless USB is the Revolution. David, go. Uh, well, yeah, I mean... Uh Effectively, and, and, and you know, we'll let Jason dig into the detail of this, as, as obviously this is his uh, his article. But to kind of summarise, after the launch of Thunderbolt, which was a combination launch, I think it's important to remember with the way it was covered. It's a combination launch of Apple with hardware with Thunderbolt connectors in. But Intel is the um, developer or the joint developer of Thunderbolt, and they kind of launched it as a as a chipset platform. Um, and as a as a uh, as a connectivity platform, um, at the same time that Apple launched their their new machines, um, uh, as a response to that, J- Jason was really putting forward uh, something else that Intel's been involved in developing in the past, which is a wireless version of USB. Uh, and, and Jason, I think your thesis here is that uh, you feel that that Intel has stifled, um, deliberately stifled wireless USB and to some extent USB 3 in favor of Thunderbolt for a, from a kind of a, a, a business positioning perspective. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it is a business and, and they need to make good business decisions. So from their perspective, you know, something like Thunderbolt um, makes sense for them to push because it's, uh, it's sort of bigger, faster, um, stronger, uh, in this case, it's also kind of a consolidator. You know, it consolidates the um, sort of storage where, where, you know, traditionally you might use something like iSCSI, FireWire even. Um, uh, it, so storage, um, video, uh, so HDMI, VGA, DVI, and 
sort of your accessories, USB. So Thunderbolt kind of squashes them all together. So it, it makes sense for, for Intel to push this because it's a, it's a PC-centric kind of thing. And so for those of us who um, you know, care about such things, who still run desktops and need you know, these really fast connections, uh, it makes sense. And, and um, the, my point in the article is that that's a sort of shrinking segment of the market. Smaller and smaller numbers of people are really um, doing everything and tethered to uh, the desktop or even, you know, laptop replacement desktop, a powerful laptop like a, you know, high-end MacBook Pro or some of these new high-end HP and Lenovo machines. For all of those, Thunderbolt makes a lot of sense. <coughs> um, but Intel uh, really putting so much of its emphasis on that, you know, I consider kind of a mistake. Uh, and or, or if it's not a mistake, it, it's a mistake to put so much attention on it at the expense of, um, wireless USB, which is what I kind of consider the uh, the future of kind of mass market, has some great potential for light computing, mass market devices. You know, wireless USB is, is about the same speed as wireless, I'm sorry, not wireless, but USB 2.0. Um, and so it's it offers great speed and it offers the potential for, you know, sort of the, um, the main point of the article is... Uh, Wireless USB offers this potential for a wireless docking solution. So, Which is what got my attention, to be honest. I, yeah. I read that, and I was like, that's a brilliant idea. I love the concept, which would be I come in for me personally. I come in with my laptop, and I can yeah. just display it on my television. I'm connected to my printer. I can start using my mouse and keyboard that's not on the laptop, and it's all done wirelessly. Yep. You, you know, you pair it. And, and boom, you're done. And a much easier pairing process than like Bluetooth, which has you know, been the promise that Bluetooth would kind of do this. But it's really low bandwidth. Um, the, the, it's not intuitive enough. Uh, it's got you know, a number of sort of glitches and things just stop working a lot of times. And so, <coughs> excuse me, but um, wireless USB has the promise to be sort of what Bluetooth you know, could have been. And at a much higher connection rate. And so the, the eventual thing is then you could have this in, and where Intel, I think, is kind of scared of this, is if you put wireless USB in a dual-core phone, something we've already sort of seen this, like the Motorola Atrix, not wireless USB, but a docking solution, and then you dock that phone, and all of a sudden you can use that phone um, for a desktop solution, you know, with a keyboard, a mouse, and a monitor, and your phone then... You know, which already has your apps, it's got, you know, your contacts, your data, boom, you can use that and dock and do sort of some light computing, pick your phone up, you know, and, and, uh, and then you're, go- you're, um, you're gone. And then there's even like the Motorola Atrix has a, a portable docking station. It has this laptop, um, which is essentially an empty shell. It doesn't have a CPU, a motherboard or anything in it. It's just a display and a keyboard, really. Um, and yeah. a touchpad. So, you know, you figure if you've got something like that and you've still got your phone in your pocket with wireless USB um, or on the desk ta- or on the table, and there, you know, you've got it connected to this shell, then, um, you know, you don't need your, your laptop when you're on the road. For people who are doing light computing, again, this isn't going to be yeah. for maybe people like us that are big-time content creators, but that's right. the idea. Okay. Okay. Now, when, when when I came back to you on this on on Twitter, kind of my counterpoint to that idea was uh, came out of a couple of, of sort of my perceptions of this first of all is that um 
wireless USB at, at the kind of the, the data rate of USB two stated data rate USB two um, is is quite fast. In my experience, um, most wireless solutions actually don't give you the notional rate; they actually give you something a fair bit lower. Um, and my my question was compared to the the ten gigabit you can get through Thunderbolt is is USB two and that sort of speed of four hundred eighty megabits a second or so are really really not not really good enough anymore as 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 data volumes grow you know a, a typical movie file might be a, a gigabyte or so in size actually you know synchronizing over USB um, or moving data through USB is just not really fast enough anymore and so going to a wireless version of something that's that's not quite fast enough. Um, isn't really, you know, isn't really a step forward just because you've removed the cable. Um, that was the first thing. The second thing is that um, congestion of, of radio is a real problem. Yeah. Uh, the more of these things you have in one place overlapping, then actually the, your overall throughput drops down even more. Uh, and thirdly, looking at the kind of the docking angle, my concern is video. Uh, video over USB as a standard is, is DisplayLink does this now, but it's, it's okay, but it's not great. Um, and and I, I just wonder whether, you know, put all of those things together, maybe wireless USB is a technology, which has been around for a while. It's been around for about six years now. Just hasn't really, you know, reached critical mass for the combination of those reasons. Yeah, and, and those are those are fair points. I, I'd add sort of, I'll add one other sort of criticism of this idea too, that, you know, uh, my audience, which is a lot of IT professionals, um, says, which is security. So if you're, you know, all of a sudden your, your phone can connect to these uh, devices um, pretty easily, then it's also, uh, you know, somewhat easily, f- somewhat um, possible for someone who wants to steal your data to try to intercept that connection and you yeah. know, put themselves in the middle and, and um, you know, steal some data. <coughs> so those are all valid points. I, 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 maybe I'll talk a little bit about a couple of them, but... Yeah. Um, Secure, from a security yeah. standpoint, though, I mean, if they want your data, they're going to get your data. I don't care what kind of connectivity you're using. I mean, if they want it that bad, they're just going to clunk you over the head and take it, right? Yeah, it's true. So that, that's one of my arguments, too, is that, you know, Wi-Fi right now, if you're using Wi-Fi, you know, at a public hotspot or even at your local network, um, you know, your internal network at work, you know, other people can sort of snoop that data um, if they want to. So... It, and, and also, to be fair, I mean, a lot of us use um, wireless keyboards um, that use those yeah. little dongles, and those in, in the main are mostly pretty much either weakly secured or not secured at all. So actually, um, moving to wireless USB, yeah. which will have some security protocols on it, will probably be an improvement in that respect. So I'd, I kind of concur with you that, that, that the, the, threat, the threat profile there is probably fairly low compared to what we have now. Yeah, and it's a good point. So that, that's So maybe that's what I'm trying to get at is there are a couple things that wireless USB would need in order to be successful. It would need, you know, these, um, a good encryption, uh, system. It would need to be simple, simpler than what Bluetooth is for sort of the pairing, um, mechanism, a little bit simpler and more reliable than Bluetooth. Um, and it would need a, for, for the video aspect for this wireless docking, um, idea where you take your phone and that phone, you know, has this wirelessly docks to a, you know, keyboard, mouse, video, printer, um, TV, using your TV as your display device, as Tim mentioned. Um, for the video side of it, it it's going to need some good 
software work, um, kind of like DisplayLink is done, where they've sort of used compression to go over USB. DisplayLink looks great. I mean, I, I've used it. Um, I, I use it uh, to connect to a TV in my office, um, and yeah. it, it, it's terrific stuff. But it's uh, it's not universal at this point. So no. in order for this kind of solution to work, USB would really need to be paired with or almost to include some kind of thing like DisplayLink, either to include DisplayLink itself or a similar protocol that really makes the video um, you know, work real smoothly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you, um, you know, but that, that, that's, that's a challenge that probably could be met. I, I think um, the difficulty for me with, with all of this stuff is that the work that would need to be done on, on wireless USB kind of is always going to be in catch-up because they're always going to be trying to catch up with the bigger displays, uh, the higher resolutions. You know, we're at a situation now where an 11-inch MacBook Air has the kind of resolution that a 15-inch MacBook uh, PowerBook or MacBook Pro had a few years ago. And, of course, every time you up the resolution, even by, um, you know, a few hundred pixels in each direction, the kind of the bandwidth uh, requirements kind of quadruple. So uh, that, that, that potentially would be a problem. But I guess, you know, one of... Like NVIDIA got on board with it and kind of start building it into graphics chipsets, and I'm sure that's something that could be solved. Um, yeah, and I think know. it's, I do think it's a matter of like for the high end, um, you know, for people doing more complicated stuff, uh, it, it's not something you're going to use for your daily computing for, for that. Yeah. But, but I think that is, that is a shrinking segment. Um, you know, the large segment of people who are just trying to do normal things, and even for you know, all, all of us are, are content creators, so we are more high end. But um, even for us, you know, we're like when we're at a conference or something, and it's like we just have you know an iPhone or an Android device, and you want to just uh, go to a uh, you know a station uh, to to work, like in a press room or something. And you have all there. It's like great. You can do kind of like this Atrix, where it has this little piece of software which has some desk stuff, and you can go in there. You can do some web stuff. You can maybe post, um, you know, a blog post or Twitter. Uh, you know, do a little bit of photo work, maybe some photos that you took on your device, um, and, and get those on there. It's going to be slower, you know, transferring your photos from that device or or maybe working with your on that device, you know, in a little sort of wireless docked solution than it would be on a top, but. Uh, acceptable. So to my 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 yeah. thought is just that it's it would be acceptable enough for some of these light computing um, needs. Let me put something else out there. I I think light speed. I've been following the development of light speed for a number of years now. And by the way, I would much rather call it light light peak rather than thunderbolt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thunderbolt is just a terrible name. I'm sorry, it's just terrible. Definitely. Um, now that it's been implemented. Do you think there's a possibility out there that Intel could have they could piggyback on top of this technology for a wireless protocol? I mean, the speed's already there. It would be easier to implement a wireless backbone to Thunderbolt than it would be to come up with a brand new solution. Um, I I I would see that that would probably be a, a better solution for mobile devices rather than continuing on with the proprietary well it's not USB is not completely proprietary but the implementation from what i understand of the wireless technology kind of was correct yeah there's some there are some conflicting sort of standards yeah. um, I, I don't know if we'd call them proprietary but there there are some 
standards conflicts there. Well, well, listen with, I mean, Thunderbolt, Light Peak, you know, there, there is the possibility and a possibility of a higher level uh, wireless because, you know, we, we have gigabit wireless, which is um, a new, the next standard after wireless N, um, 802.11N. Uh, that's coming and is in um, is is in production or or in development is probably a better word uh, at the at right now and, and is probably coming you know within the next year or two. So then yeah. you know you, I, yeah I, I don't I mean Thunderbolt's ten gig. You're not going to get ten gig. At, no, you're not. You're of, not going to get ten gig wireless. True. You're not, not going to get that. At any, well, well, let me kind of caveat that. You're not going to get that in a radio spectrum. Um, there is no spectrum available that can take, you know, that's commercially available and that people could use safely that could take that sort of rate. Um, even if the chipsets could could manage that wirelessly, there's, you, you know, there's only so much with spectrum. Uh, you get to a point you can only get so much data into a particular channel, um, and they would have to do some pretty fancy stuff to get anywhere near ten gig. I don't think it would be safe to be around if it was actually transmitting that. Yeah, um, and however, there's laws of physics there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But however, there's no reason you couldn't do it over um, over uh, infrared laser, um, and that would actually work really well. I mean, you could do. You wouldn't necessarily need to be directly line of sight, but you could actually you could actually do it optically. And bearing in mind that Light Peak, as its name implies, is actually a an optical. Yeah. It was originally designed for optical. It's only a, a kind of a um, a first step measure of the fact that, that Thunderbolt is a copper cable rather than a, an optical cable. I can see over time that once it once it does go to fiber, um, for a start, when you go to fiber, actually putting the cables in together would be. Um, you know, becomes a, a little bit less clunky than using a copper cable. I mean, you can get some really fine cables there and build it into all sorts of things. A lot cheaper but, as well. Yeah, absolutely. But um, once you've got the lasers in place, actually designed to send stuff down down an optical fiber, then it's only a, a, another engineering leap to actually say, well, let's just send it via free space instead. Uh, and uh, then it is actually completely wireless, very secure because it's tight beam. It's not being broadcast generally. Yeah. Uh, and very, very fast compared to uh, radio. So that possibly could be Intel's strategy here is, is to, to really take a, a genera- generational leap forward rather than continue to build on the radio stuff that's been, that's been done before. Um, may- maybe, that's, maybe that's the way they want to go. So, so that's a really interesting thought. You know, following sort of the scenario um, in my article, if you have a, a phone, you know, that has this sort of uh, the infrared in it, and you sort of set it down, and maybe you have a wireless docking station, or you know uh, that that is sort of on the the table, for instance, and it connects then wired in a wired manner to your uh, monitor, keyboard, mouse, printer, whatever. Then you could then all you need is a really fast connection between that phone and the sort of wireless little station, infrared station. There yeah. and so in that that scenario could could work pretty well in what you're talking about, David, and that, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. The the other thing that I wanted to kind of put to you, Jason, is that in kind of the threat that that you that you suggest Intel might be trying to combat with with their their development light peak, and they kind of I mean it's clear they are abandoning USB. I mean I think it's you know when I when I read the Thunderbolt announcement, I, you know, I really tweeted to a couple of people and said, well, you know, USB is on life support now. It's only a matter of time because clearly they're not going to put extra resources into 
extending USB when they have this this, this new technology. Well, that's um, pretty much every ten every ten to twelve years yeah, we see a complete reintroduction of some. I mean, yeah. PS two ports yeah. and SCSI, and I mean it, it's that's every ten years, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but but whether but you know, I, I mean, the, uh, to me. Uh, light peak makes more sense anyway it's an, it's much more an extension of the internal computer architecture rather than um another interface which is what usb is uh, and ultimately that to me that makes more sense to actually extend the computer outwards through the ports rather than actually put a, a gateway on the on the outside and then have have a conversion in the middle um but the point the point is you you're kind of um your uh thesis that intel are, are trying to prevent losing their PC market share by preventing these devices from becoming more functional as computers. Aren't Intel Intel already facing that today with the iPad? Plenty of people with iPads are looking to put keyboards onto them, put uh, external devices onto them. Obviously, the iPad already has several different wireless technologies for file exchange and for um, talking to peripherals with Bluetooth uh, 3G and and obviously 802.11. So the iPad, even though, though it's not one standard, it's several different radio protocols, it can kind of do that now. And there's no Intel chips inside the iPad. It's an ARM chip. Uh, and the new one that's just that's just being released today um, is also an ARM chip. So isn't Intel already facing that threat directly with a device that, that probably is, you know, is much more mainstream in terms of people trying to compute on it than, than any phone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's part of my... That, that's part of my thought is that these smartphones and tablets, um, you know, Intel is really behind in that on, on that front. And it's uh, it's really nervous about the idea of m- enabling more and more of these devices to replace PCs because they have, despite their effort in the past um, four or five years to really break into mobile, you know, we saw that with their, um, they really promoted mid devices, the mobile yeah. internet devices, um, and and some other things, and those just failed really. And and uh, these ARM devices in smartphones and and now in tablets um, have really would have captured the market. And and Intel has just been kind of left holding the bag. You know, they they've uh, and, and now they really have no play there. Um, they don't have anything in the pipeline, at least that I've you know heard anything of. And and so they're they're kind of going back to the high end of the PC market and putting some energy and resources there because they're just not sure what to do in mobile or how to face this. And they're, I, I, my sense is that they're real sensitive about doing anything like wireless USB that could allow sort of ARM products like iPad and other tablets and smartphones to steal more market share away from PCs, which to them just equates one-to-one to, to less revenue. Yeah, I mean, it must be tough for them because I, I think they thought they had the low-end computing market sewn up with the Atom because, yeah. you know, it looked like netbooks were the big play there. And let's face it, I mean, it, everybody um, a year ago, just before the iPad launch, didn't re- even Apple themselves didn't really know whether this was, this was going to be a success or not. Uh, and, yeah. and clearly, you know, that this, this kind of new market came out of the left field and really took everyone by surprise. But my my view, my if I was make, giving advice or if I was running Intel, my my advice would be, you know, if you want to deal with that problem, you've got to innovate your way out of it, not try and block. Yes, um, they need to develop a play, and they, you know, what they need to develop a play that's so good that um, everybody says, well, why on earth will we? 
continue with ARM when actually Intel has has the next generation. Um, so to me, that's their only saving grace. Otherwise, they will look at gradual shrinkage of their market. But I do think they have a little bit of time before here and then because while the mobile platforms are growing and growing and growing, I don't see the traditional desktop, be it a laptop or a, an actual desktop, shrinking. In fact, Apple keeps selling more and more and more units. The PC market is still selling a lot of it, it's not going away. We still have to have that central computer that's running our digital lives. It's just not possible yet on a mobile system. That, yeah. That's a, yeah. yeah, that's that's true. But you know, if I were if I were Arm Holdings, I mean, the way Arm works is that they design these chips. They don't actually manufacture them. They license them to other people. If I were Arm, I'd be looking at, at things like the iPad, the iPhone, and all pretty much all these other devices, and saying. How can we capitalize on these hundreds of millions of devices we've got in the market by making something that's bigger and more powerful for the desktop? <laughs> that's really what Intel's got to be worried about because as these devices become more prevalent, when the iPad goes from 15 million units to 150 million or 500 million units, uh, all of a sudden that's an awful lot of people who are used to using that device. If all of a sudden you come out and say, well, here's a desktop device that works the same way, and a lot of people are going to say, well, I don't want a PC anymore. I want the simple life. Yeah, or you can just say, Tim, I think where it affects, and again, I think this is, this is bottom-up part of the market where people who are really into their phones, people are more, a lot of, of the sort of average users are more into their phones than their PCs anymore. Because mo- I'm talking about the people who mostly just do email and web, you know, on, on the phone. Um, you know, when, once there's a, dock where it's like okay i just dock my phone and there it is i've got i, I it sort of acts like what my you know computer used to um, my mac or, or windows computer then uh i, I think that will be a, a moment where all of a sudden the bottom sort of falls out of the um the, you know the pc market uh and and the thing that's happening now is pcs are still growing you know at a much slower rate than mobile devices but people are replacing these these tablets are replacing replacing second PCs. You know, we had gotten a lot of what, what had powered PC growth in the past decade was the sort of the second PC. And now that sort of is is drying up. There was a Gartner report on that on how um, tablets have really eaten that up. Netbooks were kind of the same phenomenon. It, people were buying them as sort of secondary machines. Um, you know that's really going away and, and switching to mobile devices, and so the next step I think is where uh, us, the lower end of the market starts using their mobile devices to, just as their PCs, and and they just have bigger things to dock them to. You know, the you, you mentioned the scenario with your TV. I mean, I think eventually that TV screen, um, in many cases, is going to become the the computer monitor once you can, you know connect your mobile device to it. That's the last frontier, isn't it? Nobody has moved into the living room yet. Yes, we have the Apple TV and Google TV and the gaming consoles that, you know, have Netflix. But, you know, that living room is still a wide open territory, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Apps. I still think apps are the killer. I think so. The one, the company or, or ecosystem that can get apps... For the TV and do it right because you have to do it right um, is going to win and is going to win big. Uh, you know, as soon as there's apps, because then also not only will you be able to have cool things like the same kind of games you have on on um, and and really neat little apps that you have on uh, iPhone and, and Android, but also for content. You know, imagine if you know you guys could say, you know what, 
our channel is an app. And, you know, we deliver, we've got all of our, um, our podcasts on there. You can listen to them, you know, um, from the TV while you're looking at other stuff or looking at your pictures and you can be listening to our podcast or, you know, we also have videos on there and, um, you know, the app becomes a channel and that's going to be extremely disruptive to, um, to broadcasters and to, you know, cable and, um, to cable TV, uh, distribution. Well, I was looking at a, a report, someone pointed out that on LinkedIn, Microsoft is now looking for people who are, well, basically they're going to start building the, the Pia or the uh, Xbox three or the seven twenty or whatever it's, whatever it's <laughs> going to be called. The next so, yeah. So they're, they're looking for engineers that have that kind of a background. And I thought, do we really need another full fledged council like that? When I look at a service like on live that can it's not really you don't buy it you just stream it to you and you play it when you want isn't that the next generation i mean do we need consoles do we need apple tvs do we need the living room is so wide open and it just seems to me that you're right apps is the way to go i just i have this app to watch cbs i have this one to watch Whatever it is, this is my app to play video games. Yeah, and I can watch live or I can get their on-demand stuff. It's like you don't have yeah, to screw around with absolutely. DVRs anymore, you know? You just pick the episode you want to listen to and or that you want to watch or listen to. And um, and then you can also click the live stream if you want, you know, but, that kind of thing. That's but, where it's all going. I, I, well, I, I, think I, that's, I agree. Because I, 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 I had a conversation with somebody here at work this morning. He's just bought his daughter an iPod Touch. And it did kind of get me thinking. It was it was a birthday gift for her. And, um, you know, he said, well, the reason we got it for her is we asked her what she wanted for a birthday. And she said, well, you know, all my friends have this, have the iPods. And at, at, at playtime at school now, you know, um, people are outside in the playground, but they're they're." They're, looking, they're showing each other apps, they're listening to music they've, they've got and all that sort of thing, you know, and I want to participate in that. And it did kind of get me thinking, we, you know, Apple is, is, is breeding a whole generation of now of kids who are growing up without re, they, they use a conventional computer as, a, as an exception. It's not their principal device. They use it in school and they might use it to, uh, to do their homework and they, they, they'll use it to browse the internet, but their main device is the thing they have in their pocket. And those that I mean that in itself is disruptive because those those people when they grow up are gonna are not gonna think of a desktop or a laptop computer as the primary way of of computing. They're gonna think of you know the next mobile device and, and the iPad and, and the things that are gonna come after that. And so it's then gonna be a a, very, a a fairly easy sell to actually when you have the device that plugs into the living room and does the same thing. Uh, you're not going to have a whole generation of people who who use that computing model, or not the computing model that you and I grew up with. I agree. The, yeah. I think the biggest threat to um, what we're talking about here, Jason, is companies yeah. like Comcast. They don't want that model out there. <laughs> no, they, they don't. They don't want a la carte. They never no. have. You know, they but, they want to spoon feed us what we we can get. Here's the three tiers of channels that we offer. Pick one. Well, I tell you what, you're exactly right. And I think that one of the things that the internet has done in a number of cases is allow companies to stop um, <coughs> forcing us to pay for things we don't use. Yep. You know, um, and cable is one of the last frontiers in that war. You know, is, um, but it's the biggest, though. It, it is the biggest. Eventually, they're not going to be able to charge us for things that we don't want. 
um, and just because they have control over distribution. Uh, you know, we saw that with, we've seen it in, you know, newspapers to a degree. We've seen it in a number of other kind of content. Movie. Um, fronts, movies. To um, music, definitely. Music, right? I mean, it, iTunes killed the CD. And when I say the CD, I mean the album. People don't yes. buy albums anymore. They buy 45s like it's back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and this is the next frontier. It's the biggest, as you said. Um, but... In, in, until uh, sort of some of the critical mass catches up with it. And it is, like you, you mentioned with apps. It's funny. It, it, I do see it in some people um, that uh, – so, some people who aren't just um, kids as well. There, I was sitting on a plane next to uh, a saleswoman uh, um, last year. And it was interesting. She So we were talking about mobile devices, and she had an Android um, device, I think it was. Or it might have been a BlackBerry. Um, anyway, it was a high-end device, and she did everything on it. And she told me – and, I, you know, I was asking her what she uses it, and, you know, uh, she was telling me. And, and the thing that she said is, but the one thing I don't know with this device is how do I back it up? She uh. said, because, because my whole life is on this device. Like every contact I have, all my business notes, you know, all of the um, you know, music that I've bought for when I go on trips, audio books. She said, if I lost this thing, I would be devastated. Like I, not only would I be devastated, but I would be – I think she just said something to the fact of like I, I, would, my, I would have a serious business problem if I lost this device. And so I told her. I said, there's a couple ways you can do it and you really should. And I said, you should just once a week just sync this thing with your PC. And she's like, oh, God, I got to plug it into my laptop and, right. and do it you know, because she yeah. travels a so lot. The, she's always traveling. So. so is the next revolution then not necessarily coming up with a better back, a backup solution but – having no need for a backup solution. You simply sign on to whatever the device is and all your content is there. Yeah, or at least a cloud backup. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's, yeah. You yeah. know, it, it doesn't, you don't have to store it on your device. Yeah. It's just in your account. Your account, I hate using the term the cloud. I mean, it sucks. I but, know. And people you know, hate it. But. No, but you know what? The Dropbox model is perfect. Exactly. Yes. Dropbox, you don't have to think about it. You, you don't have to think about where the data is because it's everywhere. It's in the cloud. It's on every device you have. Um, and it, you don't, you just basically, you, as far as you're concerned, Dropbox becomes a destination and like magic, it's then on, on everything you have. That That is exactly where we've got to get to. And, and you know, I'd love to see it an iTunes service that was constructed that way. So literally you, one of the, uh, this same conversation I had with this chap this morning, he, he was actually asking me, what do I need to do to, I don't understand how to get apps and music onto the iPod touch we've bought for. He's not really very technical. And I said, well, you connect it to your computer and run iTunes. And, and he was, he was confused about that dichotomy. He says, well, she's downloaded an app already onto the iPod. And I said, yeah, connect it to iTunes and it will be backed up to the computer. He didn't kind of understand that, that mix and to make that just seamless so that it doesn't matter what you do as soon as it's on one of your devices it's on everything forevermore is it's going to be a game changer yeah i'm glad you mentioned dropbox because that's the model that i sort of like too and for for if there's any you know listeners that aren't familiar you know with that then basically what it does the difference between dropbox is not just everything stored in the cloud all, um and that's the only place to get it it's that you know it is there's a 
storage it's stored in the cloud and then it's stored locally on every device that you put it on you know your yeah. ipad your iphone your android tablet android device blackberry um you know pc mac all of them and so that is um that's what i like is not a, i still have control of it i still have a local copy but at the same time if i don't if i'm at another pc where it doesn't have i don't have dropbox installed and synced i can also go to the web their website and i can you know get it there so i think yeah. That's ideal. And like you said, if there was an iTunes version of that where I could put it on any of these devices, you know, Apple devices only, of course, but um, uh, then oh, maybe, well, maybe it would be Windows PCs too since iTunes works on Windows, but, yeah. and it did the same thing, that would be great. Then I don't have to think about managing media and all of this, you know, home sharing. And well, I think we need to get away from the proprietary, well, this only works on this platform. Um, obviously... M- Motorola and Apple and Microsoft, they don't want to get to that point. But I think as consumers, we kind of need it to. It's my content. I don't think it matters what device I have. I should have access to my content. Yeah, definitely. You know, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. And no. Apple doesn't Apple doesn't play that no. game. Although they are opening, I think to, I, I do see some movement. I don't anticipate them doing that. But I do see some movement of Apple where, they're starting to view themselves less as this sort of premium brand um, and more um, over the past year as they've released the iPad, as they've become the you know, um, most valuable technology company in the world, um, according to you know, the stock market, um, and the second most valuable company in the world after Exxon. I, I see them making some moves where they're really trying to be um, a little bit more of a mass market technology company and not just this sort of premium experience um, technology. They're trying company. to become Sony as Sony was in the 80s. Yeah, I'm much more like Sony or um, you know one of the, the, the really big, uh, really um, pervasive kind of companies and not just uh, a little niche player. So maybe that, I'm hoping that that bodes well for, for them um, playing a little more nicely and uh, abiding by standards. You see it, what I'm talking about is like with the FaceTime, they're, they're trying to make that an open standard, uh, or at least if not an open standard, uh, an industry standard. Um, you see it in the price of the iPad where they're pricing it um, in a much more competitive way and trying to get it in the hands of more people. So you see them taking some steps um, in, the, in the more mass market direction, and hopefully that uh, extends to what you're talking about, Tim. For, before we wrap up this uh, episode of Tech Fan, Jason, by the way, thanks very much for being on this week. I, I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, I think I've had you on three of my shows now. I had you on I had you on OWC Radio, didn't I? I believe I did. Um, I think so. I think so. I think so. And then I had you on the MyMac show. So Yes. <laughs> I just keep finding people and go, hey, I got a new show. Come do this one. Um, <laughs> You reviewed the Motorola Zoom, and I'm kind of curious to get your impressions of it. Now, obviously, I like the iPad, but I'm not so close-minded enough to say this is I'm only ever going to buy this. I'm looking for the best products out there. I want to um, invest my personal money in products that I want to use. And if it means, hey, I want to buy a Zoom as well as the iPad, cool. Is the Zoom there yet? Um, so I'll tell you two things I really liked about the Zoom, and then I'll – um, tell you the rest, which I didn't, which is basically the answer is no. Um, but there are two things that I really liked that I think are, are important. One <coughs> is that you can, the Zoom feels a little bit more like a full 
computer, PC, whereas I'd say the iPad definitely feels more like a mobile device, much more similar to kind of a smartphone than a, than a computer. You know, the Zoom, for instance, I, I took a couple photos with it. I went to the Flickr.com site and I clicked upload photo just because I, I just like, let's just see if it works. And not only I was able to access like the files, pick my picture, boom, upload it. I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, that's much more like a PC experience. And they're, you know, they didn't have to have, write some kind of special app or access an API or something to make it happen. It just worked, you know, like I would expect it to work on a, on a computer. So I liked that a lot. Um, the other thing is the web browser is really good. Uh, it's tabbed browsing. It has this really great little thumb control where you can turn it on, and when you place your thumb right on where the edge of the um, display is and the sort of the, the line of the bezel, if you place your thumb on there, it comes up with this little thumb control that you can quickly open a new tab, refresh, go back or forward, favorite it, that kind of thing. Um, so between that and sort of the speed of the device because it's dual core and it has some really nice graphics and a gig of RAM and that kind of thing, the web browser works really great, better than the iPad. I, 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 it, it is a better web browsing experience than the iPad. Tabbed browsing is a big part of that, I think, too. Um, <coughs> so those two things I really liked. Uh, the rest of it is definitely a work in progress. They, they didn't, Google didn't have the app um, developers ready for this. The only apps that look really good on there and are optimized for tablets are the ones that Google did. Um, and a couple news sites. USA Today looks great. CNN, uh, AccuWeather. Uh, th- those look good. Um, they're optimized for tablets, but it's kind of a, that's sort of easy work for them. It's a formatting job. Those were good. They looked great. The, the, uh, the I, their book reader, um, Google Books, is really nice, even a little bit nicer than iBooks. Had a couple nice features, like a night reading feature, which I Oh, that would be nice. Cool. Yeah, where it turns the, the text white and the background black. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's a really simple little innovation. And um, animations are really great. So those things are good. But it, it, there's apps that crash. There's apps that open and are just their smartphone apps and you put them on a 10 inch screen and um, they're all stretched and the buttons are in weird places and it's, it's just really kind of ugly. Um, it's also got a number of problems. The flash wasn't ready yet. So it's a, it's flash capable device supposedly. And they played this up a lot um, as well. So does NVIDIA played this up a lot too, but flash wasn't ready at the time they launched it. The, it has an SD card slot, but the SD card slots not ready. Um, it's 4G capable, so Verizon's 4G LTE network, but that's not ready yet. And you, in order to get that, you'll have to send the Zoom back to Motorola and get them to install the 4G chip <laughs> in it. So <laughs> all of these things, obviously, this is a device that I, I just I, I wrote in, in my review that they kind of pushed it out of the nest a little quickly and it wasn't ready to fly yet. Um, in June, I think it's going to be a much nicer device. I, I really wouldn't recommend anybody except an a- Android developer or a real sort of cutting-edge IT pro who wants to sort of know what direction Android's going and is, you know, working a lot with Android to, to buy this device because it's just not quite fully baked. So if you're a Mac user and you buy a Zoom, can you connect it to your Mac? Uh, yes, actually, um, I connected it uh, to the Mac. Uh, I, I used the, the Mac, the um, Google SDK on the Mac to uh, take some screenshots um, with it, and uh, it recognized it right away. It didn't have any problems. Awesome. Just one question on that, Jason. Obviously, um, your perspective is particularly for business professionals. Yes. 
iPad is increasingly being used in business, um, and you know, while while I think there's there's a fair argument to say that Apple's enterprise tools are not as good as they could be, they have come on leaps and bounds. I don't hear anybody talking about the enterprise management features of the uh, Android platform. Are there any? Uh, no, not not real. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> There's the same ones that there are with Android phones. And, and really, they've followed, to be honest, and this is a surprise to me because they really, this is an area that Google, um, I would expect them to really be uh, pushing a lot harder on. But they're really following on all of the things that Apple has done. You know, they use Active Sync, they enable through Active Sync, uh, which is, a, a, you know, Microsoft Exchange. Um, it's a licensing with Microsoft Exchange. Yeah. Um, they. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. They um, use Active Sync. They use basically the same things that Apple has done um, from an enterprise perspective, which is you know do remote kill, enable some of the um, the, the enterprise uh, software deployment things. They they have not tried to get out in front of Apple um, on this front, you know, and try to do some of the things like BlackBerry has done, offer higher levels of encryption offer, um, you know, maybe some better services that are, uh, that allow IT management to, to really do a lot more, um, uh, you could call them invasive, but a lot more, uh, uh, you know, sophisticated things. So, so yeah, it's not any more secure or any more manageable for the enterprise than the iPad. Except that, uh, of course, Google last week had to pull a whole load of malware apps out of their marketplace. <laughs> so that's actually yeah. a slight, a slight worry, isn't it? Um, oh, definitely. You know, I mean, that it, is. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it is surprising that that everyone in this space. I mean, even Microsoft with their with their new mobile platform, just don't seem to be thinking about business requirements at all. Well, I can't say anything about that, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm uh, legally bound not to mention anything about that right now so i can't talk about that okay um, well, I, I will say that i am i have been amazed at the number you know because i most of my audience are business and it professionals that are talking about you know technology in a business setting um and a lot of the you know conferences a number of the conferences i go to are just business it folks cios and these kinds of folks um <clears throat> the uptake of ipad among those folks, especially executives and project managers mm-hmm. and these kinds of folks, has been staggering. I really yeah. think this is the quiet um, uh, force that is powering iPad sales. Is yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Individual business professionals. Yep. Yeah. I went to a, there was a meeting um, that we covered in it's the Gartner uh, Symposium last last fall, and it's really a CIO event. Over fifty percent of the audience, it, it felt like, had iPads. Yeah, yeah. It, it was well, staggering. I, I was at I was at VMworld uh, in Copenhagen last year, yeah. uh, and they were everywhere. And not only that, the people who were giving away iPads as promotional items on the stands, they were. I mean, at one point, security had to kind of di- direct the crowds away from the stand because everyone was standing around waiting for a raffled iPad every hour, and they were actually causing <laughs> a security problem in the show. Uh, I mean, that's how bad it was. Wow. And they were everywhere. And also, I was at a Cisco event recently as well. And again, an awful lot of people were using iPads there. And that is, you know, I think that is the stealth, a stealth driver of, of enterprise adoption uh, and, um, and a very interesting trend. 
Yeah, I'm trying to do a survey. I'm trying to think of a way to do a survey or something like this to try to uncover, you know, how many of the iPad sales are are to business. You know, I I'm guessing it's a or business users, individual business professionals. I would kind of call them. I uh, think the term would be boatload. Yeah, yeah, it, it's got to be huge. I just think it has to be a huge um, portion of of the sales there, and and it's something that I, I think it gets glossed over a little bit too much in in the uh, evaluation of of iPad sales. So. And it's those people who are seen with the devices and kind of champion them, which really pushes the consumer market as well. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They're, they're influencers. Absolutely, Jason. Where can our listeners learn more information about you online? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitter. My handle's Jason Heiner. Uh, my last name's spelled H-I-N-E-R. You, you can go to um, Tech Republic, uh, where I'm the editor-in-chief, as you mentioned earlier. Um, my blog there is called Tech Sanity Check. If you just go to sanity.techrepublic.com, you can, that's an easy link to, to get to my, my blog, where I really talk about the... Um, the, the big picture stuff in the techni- technology industry, you know, sort of asking the tough questions and trying to follow the uh, and anticipate some of the, the hottest trends um, in the technology uh, field. So that's um, that's the best place to find me. You can also, if you want to know more about me, um, my blog or my uh, personal site is jasonheiner.com. I particularly like uh, jasonheiner.com slash photos. And then Photoshop's January oh 2011. With you looking at your phone <laughs> in black and white. Yeah. That's a good photo. Jason, thanks very much for being here this week. I really appreciate it. Um, sure and personally, thank you for putting me on your, uh, what was it, the Twitter list thing that you do every year. Yeah, the, uh, t- my 2011 directory of techies on Twitter. Yep, yep. Okay, because it was kind of neat waking up. I think it was Monday or Tuesday yeah, of this Monday. week. Yeah, Monday. and. Every five minutes, Google saying you've got a new follower on Twitter. I'm getting an email. I'm like, what is going on? Then I remembered last year, and I went, <laughs> oh, I know what this is. <laughs> so thanks very much. I do appreciate it. Sure uh, David, you're going to be doing the show either by yourself or with someone next week because I won't be able to record. That's right, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. And, um, so yeah, if the show comes out a day late, not a big deal because I don't know what day you're planning on recording it. We usually yeah, record it, it on depends Friday. It depends on somebody else's schedule at the moment, so and, um, we'll just have to see. Yep. No big hurry. Is it done yet? <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode of Tech Fan. Be sure to go out to MyMac.com. You'll find, once again, our brand new feed, five different shows, all free. You can check it out right there. Go to MyMac.com. There's a link that says MyMac Podcast Network. Make sure you check out our sponsors, including... Nobody right now, actually. It's, no, we've got a few. Uh, visit the uh, sp- support my Mac links, and uh, we'd love your feedback. That's one of the things that we didn't really get a chance to do this week, David, is uh, read any feedback, and I did get some. We're just going to hold on to it and maybe make a show here in a couple of weeks all about the feedback, talk about the things that the listeners are interested in hearing about, and uh, it should yeah. be fun. Cool. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll see you in one week.